When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, UFC 296 this weekend, T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas. It's the last UFC event of the year. We made it. We made it. Well, not yet we haven't. I guess that's true. We got to make it through one more. But after that, we're turning the page. We're moving on to 2024, where I'm sure we will have another full house worth of events. I think we did 42 this year. I didn't go back and count them up because why would you? But uh, I think we did 42, which frankly seems like a lot to me still. Especially when you consider how few weeks off that leaves you with, you know? Yeah, uh, 52 weeks in a year, the math is pretty easy if you start doing that. Uh, I assume we're going to get into some manner of recap shows, uh, you know, year in review kind of a thing, because we still have a couple weeks left here. You know, last year over on the Patreon, we gave out the CMEs. Yeah. We gave out the CME Awards. Big hit, very popular. We're probably going to be doing that again uh, over on the Patreon page. If I, but if I just put you on the spot and I, I asked you right now, Ben folks, when you look back and you think about 2023, what is the thing you think about first in terms of in cage action? You, I mean, as far as I can tell, according to my math, according to my reckoning, 2023 lasted seven years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, dog years. Sounds like you're counting in dog years. I can't. I mean, I can remember... Khalil Roundtree putting it on Anthony Smith. Yeah, that was just this last week. I can remember my heart breaking a little at seeing Alexander Volkanovsky knocked out. And after that, it just gets fuzzy. You know, yeah. I need yeah. to go back and consult the the official record to even even find out what the hell happened this year. What happened this year? <laughs> Jesus <laughs> well, Christ. Well, you, you spent almost all of it in a drug-induced haze. Yeah. Well, so. and, and rightly so. Honestly, a good decision by me, uh, all things considered. I mean, I'm just going back right now. I'm just, Chad, remember when we thought, uh, okay, here we go. Glover Teixeira versus Jamal Hill starting starting us off the first pay-per-view of the year, UFC 283. You can't convince me that didn't happen at least five years ago. Jamal yeah, Hill no, was, done won sure a title. Was UFC, that was UFC 10. Uh, <laughs> Dan Severn and Mark Coleman were the co-main on that, I'm pretty sure. Jamal Hill won a title, 
got stripped of a title and punched his damn brother in the face <laughs> all in the all since then you know yeah it's a crazy mixed up world out there man things move fast it's just it's incredible is what it is well as you might have guessed we're going to spend most of the show this week talking about UFC 296 headlined by Leon Edwards defending his welterweight title against Colby Covington and Alexander Pantoja defending the men's flyweight title against Brandon Royville. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the rest of the card, which is is kind of interesting. A lot of good fights on there. We will be doing that for the for the entirety, I think, of the show. We will spend a few minutes during listener mail talking about this fight night that occurred over the weekend where Song Yudong uh, decisioned Chris Gutierrez in the men's bantamweight main event, and Khalil Roundtree Jr. sent Anthony Smith into a different realm in the co-main in the light heavyweight fight. So we will uh, we will spare some time for that as well. Remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. But if you need more, you can find Ben Folks and myself over at the Patreon page all week. Hit us up, patreon.com slash co-main event. Get loads of extra audio and video content as well as access to our official Discord message board. The coolest people in MMA are constantly chatting it up over there on any number of topics where the only rule is no assholes. And as we've said before, right now we're offering seven-day free trials at our $5 level, which I believe is the most popular level. I think... Most people are in at the $5 level. You can jump on board absolutely free and check out all of the content happening over there. Take a look, bathe your ears, and then decide if you want to join up for real. As everybody knows by now, I say this every week, but it is true again. It continues to be true. It will always be true. We are a completely independent podcast. We don't have the backing of a big parent company or one of the major MMA websites. This is just two guys talking into microphones and we've been doing it for over a decade. The truth is we can only keep making the show with your support. Help keep the CME alive by jumping over and becoming a member of the awesome community over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben, we keep telling people about the merch shop over there, co-mainevent.com. We've been saying go over there and get your dad, get your brother, get your uncle, get your whoever, a daddest man on the planet coffee mug. You might be out of time at this point. I don't know. I guess you could roll in there, try to pay for some expedited shipping. You might get it there by uh, by Christmas. We'd have to see. But you know what? The daddest man on the planet coffee mug makes a uh, uh, beguiling gift at any time, any yeah. time of the year. You beguile the hell out of somebody with that gift. I also want to point out when you're talking about reasons to get on the Patreon, we just mentioned it uh, a few minutes ago, but you don't want to miss the Seamies. The That's CME right. Awards. Yeah. I mean, a lot of other year-end awards things happen. I don't think any of them get as creative with their categories or the naming of said categories as the CMEs. You know what is the best thing about the CMEs is the pageantry. Yeah. Just a lot of pageantry. Production happening. value. Yeah, over there. Hit up the merch shop. We got t-shirts, hats, hoodies, everything you could want. Tote bags, go on to our website, comainevent.com, and click the link at the top of the page that says shop. As always, we partner with our guys at Superconductor on the shop. They are a brand and design studio from Portland, Oregon. We can't recommend them highly enough for all your design needs. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram 
at Studio Superconductor. This week, we got music from CME listener and beloved patron Doug Ty, a.k.a. Spider Fighting. He describes his music as, quote, instrumental beat music that straddles the line between aging indie dork and backpack boom bap. Backpack boom bap. I think it's pretty cool. If you like what you hear on the show, you can check out more at soundcloud.com slash spiderfighting, soundcloud.com slash spiderfighting. Little known fact, that's how I warm up my vocal cords to uh, do this show as I sit here for about 10 minutes beforehand going backpack boom bap. Backpack boom bap. You can't say that 10 minutes in a row, man. I'd be surprised if you get to 10 times in a row. It is a meditative exercise. (laughs) That's your mantra. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, John Jones, Tom Aspinall, Jamal Hill, Alex Pereira, Israel Adesanya, Sean Strickland, Yair Rodriguez, Sean O'Malley, Brandon, Romano, Brandon Moreno, Alexander Pantoja, and Alexa Grasso. If you count interim titles, the UFC crowned 11 champions in 2023. And that's if you don't count Alexander Volkanovsky defeating Rodriguez to unify the men's featherweight title in July. That is a lot considering the championships in two other weight classes, women's bantamweight and women's featherweight remain vacant. On Saturday at UFC 296, can Colby Covington make it an even dozen? No. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. <laughs> and in round number two, and might Brandon Royville make it a baker's dozen? No commentary on that one from you. I mean, possibly. But then I see, then I go back to there's just be a dozen. I, I never liked the baker's dozen thing to begin with. That's a separate yeah. conversation. And around, what's the origin of that? Where does the baker's dozen come from? Fucking bakers who can't count, I assume, and then try to act like they did it on purpose. (laughs) I know, it's the baker's dozen. You didn't know about that? Yeah. Sounds like something you'd say to one of your kids. Yes. Yeah. It does sound something you made. Yeah, that's just a baker's dozen. That's the baker's dozen. I meant to do that. In round number three, big fights also on this card for Shavkat, Rachmanov, Patrick Pimblant, and Ian Machado. Gary, we discourse. <laughs> the pause oh. between Machado and Gary gets longer every time you do it. Because you just want to let Machado. that echo. Yeah. Gary. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from the old battle axe. <laughs> now, that's Don't not know. you being clever. That's just what the actual email says yeah can't comment don't know they write a couple times during the song Yudong fight laura sanko mentioned that all six guys ranked in front of him at bantamweight were title contenders but he was still trying to break into that group maybe now he will but why not before discourse now this is not a bad question because song Yudong came into his fight against chris gutierrez let me get this straight here one, two, three, five and one in his last six. Uh, only two losses since coming to the UFC way back in 2017. Of course, he had the majority draw to with Cody Stamen back in December of 2019. The unanimous decision loss to Kyler Phillips does not really fit in. But aside from that, his only loss is the TKO stoppage, doctor stoppage to Corey Sandhagen, who is pretty good at this weight. So I guess... The question is, Ben, why did it take maybe this long 
Even now we don't know, but why is it taken up to this point to view Song Yedong as a member of this elite 135-pound class along with guys like Marlon Vera, Sandhagen, Henry Cejudo, Davalashvili, Aljamain Sterling, and of course the champ, Sean O'Malley? Well, I think part of the answer lies in the question itself. When you can look at a division and be like, the top six are all feasible title contenders right now, and poor number seven, he's not. That tells you that you've got some pretty stiff competition. you got a pretty deep weight class there. It's not the same at all those weight classes. Like, you look around at, you know, light heavyweight. You know who the number seven light heavyweight in the UFC is right now? Johnny Walker. Nikita Krylov and Alexander Rakich are above him. We don't necessarily look at those guys and be like, they're title contenders right now as we sit here. Just because the division's not that deep. You know who the number seven middleweight is? Roman Delidze. Like, it's just not the same in other weight classes. At Bantamweight, you have so many good guys. Like we've said about some of these lighter weight classes, you got to win six in a row before we even remember your name. Plus, when you kind of look around at the names that Song Yudong has on his record where it's like, you know, Corey Sandhagen might be the most recognizable name that he fought. And that's the one that he lost in this stretch. Other than that, you know, you beat Marlon Moraes, but at a time when it feels like everybody was beating Marlon Moraes, you beat Ricky Simone. Okay. You beat Chris Gutierrez, not a whole lot of name value there, even though like, he is a good fighter. There's just no one win that jumps out at you as the one where you're like, that's the one that puts you on the map. And it's tough to do because the same way you're talking about the six guys ahead of them are all title contenders. That means ain't none of them trying to fight number seven right now. That's not what they're looking at. They're all sort of hanging around hoping to, to climb up to that zone where they can, especially with Sean O'Malley as the champion, a lot of them think, okay, now is my time. That guy's vulnerable. I could take the title off of that guy. They are not really picking up the phone and getting really excited if somebody calls them up and is like, how about you and Song Yedong main event in an ESPN plus uh, fight night card at the Apex? That's, that's not what any of those dudes are hoping for, and that's not where they think they are. Yeah. Well... I do have to say, on the Song Yedong resume is a win over the guy who was about to fight for the title in Marlon Chito Vera. He did beat that guy, so that's okay. that's all right. That that ain't too bad. Uh, after he gets, you know what, this Song Yedong Chris Gutierrez fight, it's not one that we're gonna remember by the end of the year, which is in two weeks probably. <laughs> uh, it was a fine little fight. These guys had a fairly competitive scrap. I thought. Song Yudong won every round. I think the judges mostly got it right there. But, you know, it was Chris Gutierrez looked like he deserved to be out there. They had a fine fight. Not not too many fireworks, but it was a, it was a pleasing bantamweight affair. Song Yudong jumps on the mic after, calls out Peter Yawn, who is technically a guy ranked above him, but also a guy who perhaps is not top of mind for us at the moment if, if he's not climbing in a boxing ring and having a face-off with Conor McGregor for no reason whatsoever. I don't know if we're thinking that much about Peter Yawn. So that could have been a shrewd call-out for Song yeah. Dong, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, because it does move him up the rankings, and it's also, we're going to sit here and be like, what else has Peter Yawn got going on? You know, he's out here, like, mean-mugging and pictures with and, and in a ring with Conor McGregor or whatever, but we you know you're not going to get that fight. Like, no. what else What else you got going on? You might as well fight Song Yudong at this point. I also want to point out, 
once again, the the muted praise of Chad Dundas is probably not going to make the highlights. Song you don't haven't they they had a fine fight. Chad says on this one. This is what movie were we discussing recently where you were like, if you wanted to watch a movie with this in it, this is certainly one of the ones that you could watch. Yeah, that was my review of the killer, the new David Venture <laughs> yes. movie. If you want to watch a movie about an assassin, this is definitely a movie you could watch. It is a movie about an assassin. <laughs> Same idea. Just uh you know, you you're you're not USC... at risk of overselling any of this, and I appreciate that. You don't think the UFC is going to make like a hype video super cut where they show highlights from Song Yudong versus Chris Gutierrez spliced in with clips of Joe Rogan, Daniel Cormier, and John Anik reacting to knockouts. And then they're going to put my voice over the top of it saying they had a nice little bantamweight fight. It was fine. It was fine. I mean, they do. Every once in a while, somebody from one of the UFC uh, hype video teams will reach out to us and be like, hey, do we have your permission? And it's always something where they're like, we have your permission to use a clip from this podcast from 2020. And I'm always just like, they were like, we want to use this segment that's like 15 seconds long. And I'm just like, why though? Is it because we were really wrong about something? Is it like, <laughs> yeah. Is Dana White going to make a, a personalized video where he burns us for being wrong, for saying he couldn't do something and then he did it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know. It's possible. Anyway, good win for Song Yudong. I hope he gets a, a fight with a guy further up the rankings and, and continues to climb because he seems to me like he's pretty good. Next question this week comes to us from Isaac Spooner, who writes, Damn, Khalil Roundtree Jr. Good performance, horrifying KO, win streak of five, creeping up on the weight class's knockout record. What more can you say? Stay frosty. This was a good performance from uh, Khalil Roundtree Jr., who ends up uh, putting the brakes on Anthony Smith early in the third round of their co-main event light heavyweight fight just uh pretty well knocked him into the the spirit realm here hurt him i think in all three rounds at some point and then finally uh gets the gets the stoppage victory he runs his streak to five in a row which in which at light heavyweight is significant so we'll have to see where khalil roundtree lands after this one for anthony smith i feel like this is a reminder that you can go out there with a pretty good game plan you can feel like you've got the other guy's offense pretty well scouted. You can do most of the right things. But if he's got that game-changing power, he just needs to clock you once or twice yeah. right there in the chin, on the dome. And the next thing you know, uh, you've lost. You've lost this fight, and you may not remember how it happened. Well, and the thing with Cleo Roundtree is that when he is really putting it together, and he looks like he is trying to kill you. Yes, he With does. every single strike that he throws. There's just, there's a meanness to it that, frankly, I enjoy, but that is also a little bit scary. Cause, and it's like, you know, we've seen some fights in him where you're just like, where did it go? And then he's put together a few now where you're just like, people post some of these clips of Khalil Roundtree finishes and you're just like, did the guy owe you money? Like, what? What 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 the hell was going on here? And there were some moments like that in this fight. What I really enjoy is when he drops Anthony Smith, gets him to do the stanky leg a little bit, you know, puts him down, and he lifts up that hammer fist as if it is the hammer of the gods, as if he is like summoning power from the gods upon Mount Zion. But he's also holding it there while looking at the ref, like, "Don't make me do it." Don't you make me do it. I will, I will bring this down on this man's skull 
if you don't get in here and stop this fight. And he holds it there for a long time as Anthony Smith is kind of like rolling. He's like waiting for the opportunity, but he's also sort of like implying to the ref, like, do you want to see me break his whole shit? Because I will do it if I have to, but I would really prefer not to. And then thankfully the ref does get in there and be like, okay. Yeah, it was a little bit exaggerated. The point I love from it. which he, he was going to drop that hammer fist was a little bit exaggerated. It was demonstrative, I think, in order to get the referee well, to step in there and stop the fight. And to his credit, Anthony Smith did not come close to passing the what the fuck test no. unless the question was what the fuck just happened. Well, and it does effectively make the point, doesn't it? Like, hey, if I could stand here with this shit cocked for this long without the guy reacting or defending or anything else or like or the fight even continuing doesn't that tell you something doesn't that yeah. tell you that this one is probably over like yeah point taken you know what he gets on the mic he calls out the champ alex pereira uh khalil roundtree came into this fight ranked number 11 again a, a little bit of shrewd matchmaking here because anthony smith was number eight and yes and yet khalil roundtree was a two-to-one favorite coming into this thing and it played out according to chalk here's the thing i don't think khalil roundtree is going to pole vault his way up to the top of the division with this win but also if you told me alex Pereira and khalil roundtree jr were going to fight each other i would circle that date on my calendar because that is one i would want to watch i don't feel like we'd need the judges for that one one way or another now you've jinxed it now uh (laughs) I still still feel pretty comfortable with this one. Next question this week comes to us from David Lauderay, who writes, big fight this week, love him or hate him, Colby Covington is a guy you've heard of. Same with (laughs) Leon Edwards. I know roughly half the human population is technically under UFC contract, but doesn't it seem like all the capital G guys are fighting like once or twice a year now? I remember during GSP's title reign, it was an understood thing that he only fought twice a year. So after one of his fights, there was a feeling of, ah, shit, we don't get to see GSP for another six months. Now we'd be lucky to see anyone we actually give a shit about fight that often. First, is this my imagination or is it really happening? Assuming it's happening, at least to some extent, is this lack of activity across the board from fighters having an opinion about the fighter's choice or is the UFC purposely only scheduling these guys once in a blue moon as a cost-saving measure? What's really going on? Well, you definitely have some people who are trying hard to get that work in. Alexander Volkanovsky would be among them. I mean, Alexander Volkanovsky is a guy where people keep telling him like, hey, take it easy some, man. Like, just maybe hang out a little bit more. And he's like, if I do that, I I will get into a bad space mentally, so please give me another fight right after I just got knocked out. Uh, Some people are a little more active than other people, but I also think one of the problems is that when you become a capital G guy, there are fewer people who it makes sense for you to fight. Yeah. The higher up in the rankings you are, just like we talked about, like none of those guys who think they're title contenders at bantamweight are trying to fight down to number seven to fight Song Yudong. They get up there and they're waiting for that opening to get a title shot or to at least get a number one contender fight. And so it's like if there's only two or three people who it makes sense for you to fight, the chances of that window of opportunity opening get smaller and smaller. So I think that that some of that is just sort of a function of how it works. Yeah, there's different guys taking different approaches, obviously. Sean Strickland, for example, seemed to kind of get himself into a title fight by being a guy who just was around. They knew where to find him. Yeah. 
He's at his weird apartment in Las Vegas. And it if worked he walks out. on the apex, he could jump on his skateboard and be there in 10 minutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it really worked out too, you know? I mean, you could that that as a strategy career-wise is what got him to the title. That and winning the fight that we thought there was no way in hell he was going to win. I mean, Colby Covington as an example is actually that kind of instructive because it's like he won his last fight over Jorge Masvidal in March 2022. And then, but also just kind of felt like, well, I'm right there, right? Like, come on. You, I am a guy you've heard of, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, as once Kamara Usman and Leon Edwards get through doing it again, brother, you got to circle back around to me. And so, what do I want to hang around and fight some of these guys lower down on the rankings for? In the meantime, uh, I want to. I want to cash this this ticket and make sure I can get into another title fight here soon. And I mean, it's worked out. Like if you're patient enough, I mean, in the meantime, he did get beat up at the poppy steak. So like, <laughs> maybe maybe that delays your plans a little bit. And everything, but it's like you get to that point, and a whole lot of those people in different weight classes get to that point where they just kind of think like, only bad stuff could happen by me continuing to fight now. I I need to wait until they need somebody for this title fight, uh, need somebody to, to jump in there on a pay-per-view. And then that's going to be my moment. Yeah. You know, I had not thought of it until you just mentioned it, but if Colby Covington were to become the welterweight champion this week, Jorge Masvidal has some, some savage burns that he could throw out there about him being the champion of the welterweight division, but not being the champion of the poppy steak. <laughs> just have to wait and see how that plays out. I mean, Next it, question this week go ahead. comes comes to us from Captain Kid, who writes, "What can even be said of California sanctioning bare knuckle and slap fighting? Have we lost one of the last apparently good state athletic commissions?" Discourse. We knew this was coming down. I think last week there had been some reporting that it seemed like California was poised to sanction bare knuckle and slap fighting, and they they have done it. They indeed have done it. Uh, the bare knuckle thing, maybe not quite as surprising as the slap fight thing to me, but at the same time, you know, there's an article over on bloody elbow last week that proposed a fairly compelling thesis. I think that California had been on the outs in some ways with the UFC for being one of the commissions, one of the remaining commissions in the nation who would kind of go to battle with them on certain issues, kind of uh, stand up to them even a little bit with their demands and things that they wanted and rule changes that they could request. And the UFC had not been there, had not been to California with an event all that often in recent memory. So the thesis was floated that perhaps California thinks sanctioning slap fighting is a way to cozy up to Endeavor, to cozy up to Dana White and kind of get uh, you know, the foot back in the door to have the UFC come back there more often. And I can't sit here and tell you that I think that's untrue. I feel like, you yeah. know, I have no insider information. I'm just guessing, but that seems, that seems very believable to me that that could be a thing. What else could it be? Honestly, because maybe they love slap fighting. Yeah, sure. No one loves slap fighting. It's fucking dumb. That's... Maybe they found out about the video game <laughs> and they were, uh, they were like, we need to get some of this in the golden state. Again, I want to reiterate my point that I do not oppose slap fighting because it is dangerous. I oppose it because it's stupid. It is just plain stupid. It purports to be a combat sport in which it is illegal to defend yourself. 
just just think about that for a moment. It's supposed to be a fighting sport where you are not allowed to defend yourself. That's just dumb. The whole thing is dumb. And the only reason California could have for sanctioning it is to try to get on good or good or better terms with the UFC because the they even mentioned at some point a concern about revenue that uh, you know it would be nice to get increased revenue for the state you can't tell me slap fighting is bringing any revenue on itself when's the last time you heard of a sold out slap fighting show there it's not bringing you revenue just to have slap fighting there the revenue has to be that you think if you sanction this, give the UFC what it wants, it will in turn bring you more events. Or that if you refuse to sanction it, it won't. And it tells you something that when you go to sanction some new stuff, you sanction bare-knuckle boxing, and that is the more moderate stance. <laughs> like, no one, by comparison, this is the best thing could happen for BKFC. Because no one is looking at it and being like, well, California, they they don't care about safety. They're sanctioning bare-knuckle boxing. Bare-knuckle boxing looks incredibly sane and, and just entirely reasonable next to slap fighting. You yeah. know? Yeah. I, I can't I imagine I that they're like sitting there in California be... being like, well, we just need to have some of that slap fighting here. Like, we'll be left behind as as a state. We'll be, we'll be in the dark ages if we don't bring the enlightened sport of slap fighting into California. I feel like maybe they just caught the fever like everyone else. <laughs> catch a open hand slap across your face while you stand there holding on to the little foam roller thing just to prove that you're not going to at a last mitch, a last ditch effort at trying to do any martial arts, bring your hands up in defense of your own face. I think that they were like, hey, this is the top sport on social media more than every other sport combined. We got to get this thing. Uh, we'll, we'll pack out every arena in California with the slap fighting. You think somebody went to them and there's like, would you like to have NBA in California? And they went, yeah. How about like, you know, NFL? How about uh, F1 racing? How about, uh, you know, uh, baseball, tennis, all these other sports? And they're like, yeah, we'd like to have all of those. And they're like, would you like something that is more popular than all of them combined? <laughs> Because it's slap fighting. Next question this week comes to us from Owen Archdeacon. Owen Archdeacon. Owen Archdeacon. Is that one of those? You, you keep saying it like you're hoping that it's going to turn into like a man to hug and kiss situation. Yeah, well, that's what I was wondering if it was. I was wondering if it was that kind of name and I just didn't know it until I'd said it out loud. Anyway. He's Owen actually Archdeacon. a Scottish former footballer. So it's good oh, to hear okay. from him. Yeah, that makes sense. He writes, I've decided that I want to see Mike Perry fight Floyd Mayweather in a bare-knuckle boxing match. Is there enough money in the world to make this happen? Note, there is a lot of money in the world. <laughs> if there is enough money in the world, how great, how would the great, oh, I'm sorry. If there was enough money in the world, would the great American public pay en masse to see it? Now, you would want to dismiss this, right? You'd want to read this, this question and be like, no, that's not a thing that could happen. It's just we don't even want to dignify that with a response. And yet it has become clear over the last handful of years that Floyd Mayweather will do almost anything yep. for the right sum of money. Now, does that include going in there to fight a bare knuckle fight with a guy in Mike Perry, who is the most bare knuckle fighter in the history of bare knuckle fighting? No one 
going back to the 1800s has ever loved bare knuckle fighting more than Mike Perry? Does does Floyd want to get in there with this guy and get his whole shit potentially broke? I don't know about that, but we do know Floyd is open to pitches, let's say. He's open to uh to hearing your presentation. He will keep an open mind and decide once he has seen what is in it for him. Yeah. Although I got to think that even Floyd Mayweather would be like, look, the thing about bare knuckle is you could get hurt either throwing or receiving the punches. You know, like he is up for lots of different types of offers, lots of different money making opportunities, but they all have one thing in common, which is that none of them really place him in much physical peril. And I, while I don't think he looks at Mike Perry and sees a fighter who could physically threaten him as a boxer, I do think he might look at the sport of bare knuckle and be like, there are some ways for this to go wrong. Plus, you, I mean, we already are wondering how bare knuckles keeping the lights on with what they're paying some of those dudes and how even when they generate excitement around a fight, I don't feel like we hear from a ton of people who are like, yes, I bought the latest offering from bare knuckle fc you know i don't feel like i hear that that key word in there that often could they possibly have enough money laying around in the coffers to get floyd mayweather out of bed i'm not sure yeah i don't know either i don't know but we can keep dreaming owen archdeacon we can keep dreaming all right last this week on listener mail from our guy brian he says not a question just inviting any CME listeners to come join us for a get-together when the guys are in Seattle on December 31st. We have a table reserved at 1 p.m. at the Stoop Brewing Capitol Hill location, the old Optimism Brewing spot. There will be beer and cider available, as well as a food truck, and the Seattle Seahawks game will be on television. Come hang with co-maniacs in person and celebrate the last day of 2023. Ben Folks, this is not false advertising. You and I will be in Seattle during New Year's. We're going to see the Winter Classic. You and I are going to watch uh, the Seattle Kraken play the hated and loathsome Las Vegas Golden Knights outdoors at the Seattle Mariners Baseball Stadium on New Year's Day. And we will be in Seattle meeting up with some co-maniacs early in the day, early in the afternoon, I guess I should say, of New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve Day is when we will be there. One o'clock out there at the Stoop Brewing Company in Capitol Hill. I've never been there before, but it looks cool on the website. So, uh, you know, we'll be there for, I would think, a couple few hours. And people should come down in and hang with us. Get to know some of the noted and, and, and respected patrons of the CME, not to mention you and me. And you know what? If you get there early enough, we might not even be drunk and belligerent and have taken off our shirts yet. Well, is that a selling point or is that, you know, are okay. you saying people uh, might want to wait? Yeah, 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 okay. If you time it, if you're like, okay, I'll be fashionably two hours late, then you might see some nipple. I'll, yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a choose your own adventure. Yeah. In that regard. I heard if they show up early, you're going to buy them a beer. Is that what you heard? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, show up early. Ben Folks will buy you a beer. I heard that that is part of the pitch. Yeah. He'll, the, ju- uh, he'll be standing point. there and being like, yeah, sure. Uh. Put it on my tab. It's under Chad Dundas. <laughs> oh, that sounds like you too, you son of a bitch. Uh, Stoop Brewing Company, December the 31st, a couple weeks from now. We'll be there at 1 p.m. Some of the patrons of the CME will be there along with us. Come say hi. 
and uh, Ben Folks will buy you a beer. If you don't come say hi, I will take it personally. <laughs> That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern for the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us right now. We're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, Ben... As I mentioned at the top of the show, it has not been a great year for incumbent champions in the UFC. A lot of turnover, a lot of instability at the top of these divisions in the UFC right now. Colby Covington rolls into this fight for his third UFC welterweight title opportunity since the first time he fought Kamaru Usman in December of 2019. That is if you don't count his interim title fight with Rafael Dos Anjos back in 2018. So this will be Colby Covington's third bite at the apple in about four years. How do you think this is going for him against new opponent Leon Edwards, who, uh, you know, just settled his differences with Kamaru Usman? Yeah, and the thing with Colby Covington, I feel at this point, is that we kind of know what he brings. He brings an extremely high pace and an offense that just sort of overwhelms you with activity. It's a wrestling first game plan. He honestly hardly ever finishes anybody, uh, but he throws so much at you and is constantly doing so much either by trying like taking you down and and working on the mat or just forcing you to defend takedowns, defend the clinch, all that kind of stuff that he makes it hard for other people to get their offense off. And he's really really good at doing that. He doesn't get tired. He can do that shit all night long and it can be tough for people to deal with. And stylistically, I think that makes it an interesting challenge, especially for somebody like Leon Edwards where maybe you get through two fights with Kamaru Usman, you must have proved something about your improved defensive wrestling. But at the same time, in that first fight, it's not like he was exactly winning it, or I guess it was the second fight, uh, before he kicked him upside the head. And, you know, the the third fight, he looked really good. And so you're like, okay, I, it seems like Leon Edwards ought to be able to deal with this type of attack from Colby Covington. But then again, I mean... Even though Colby Covington does not bring a lot of surprises, he is really good at doing his thing. And if you let him do his thing and you let him, you get into his kind of fight, it's going to be tough for you to win it. You know, you, that's how you end up 
sit getting off the stool for round five, realizing you need to finish your way down. And that's a tough place to be. Yeah. Given what we saw earlier this year from Sean Strickland, I'm not going to sit here and tell you Colby Covington can't do it. You know, uh, they're two pressure fighters who will throw volume and come forward. And then you add into the mix Colby Covington's wrestling ability. And maybe you have a dangerous guy, but as you mentioned, Leon Edwards has been pretty, pretty, pretty good as of late, especially if you consider uh, his two wins over Kamaru Usman. I did want to say, though, just looking at this guy's record, is it possible that we have inflated Leon Edwards a little bit? I don't want to, you know, the guy Here is the go. champion. Here we so, go. So you don't want to uh, underestimate what he's done. But just let me, let me read to you the fights. Going back to 2018. Unanimous decision over Donald Cerrone. Split decision win over Gunnar Nelson. Unanimous decision win over Rafael Dos Anjos. The no contest with Bilal Muhammad, where it must be said Leon Edwards was winning the fight prior to the accidental eye poke that made it so Bilal couldn't continue. Nate Diaz, that's June of 2021. And then two fights with Kamara Usman. That is the extent of Leon Edwards's resume going back to the summer of 2018. Is that, am I reading too much into that? I mean, again, as I like to say, you can only win the fights they give you. Can't win the the other ones that you don't end up in. So there is that. I think anybody who beats Kamaru Usman twice in a row you got to give them their respect. Especially, you know, Colby Covington lost two fights to Kamaru Usman. You know, the honestly, when people are trying to say nice stuff about Colby Covington, the stuff they say is interim champion and took Kamaru Usman really down to the wire in, in two fights. And it's like, okay, if that's the best you can say, then I, Leon Edwards can say a little better than that. So you got to give him that. I mean, also, if you turn around, you could do this same thing to Colby Covington where it's like, okay, uh, since 2019, he won a decision over Robbie Lawler in the sort of the twilight era of Robbie's career. Also, before that, won a decision over Rafael Dos Anjos. So, you know, he and Leon are in the same boat. Got TKO'd by Kamaru Usman. Got, got his jaw broken that one. Got a rib injury TKO of Tyron Woodley. When you you want to talk about somebody in the twilight of their career at the time, turn around, lost a, a decision to Kamar Usman, and then won a decision over Jorge Masvidal before losing the rematch in the Poppy Stake. So, I don't know. You know, I mean, you go back as far as 2016. Colby Covington has two finishes. One is the rib injury when he took down Tyron Woodley. The other one is a TKO over Max Griffin. Like, that was a UFC on Fox event, Chad. That's how long ago that was. So, I don't know. You you could flip that coin on the other side is all I'm saying. If I'm hearing you correctly, and I may put together both of our comments, what you're telling me right now is that aside from their fights with Kamaru Usman, you got two guys this weekend fighting for the UFC welterweight champion who have a grand total of zero combined wins over anyone in the top 15 <laughs> right now. Zero. 
Well, when you put it like that, Jesus Christ. I mean, you can't take away Leon Edwards' two wins over Kamaru Usman. No, those can't. are pretty impressive, granted. Maybe it's unfair to just take those off the table. But aside from those fights, zero between the two of them. Well, you make it sound like this shit is dumb, but <laughs> I am actually looking I'm not forward saying that. to I'm this not saying fight because I do think, like, stylistically, it's really interesting. Can Colby Covington do Colby Covington stuff to Leon Edwards, who, I, I don't know, I think especially in the last couple of years, you've seen Leon Edwards get a lot better and fill in a lot of the holes in his game. And, you know, he's a good-sized dude at welterweight. He can hurt you standing up. Uh, he's gotten better at fending off some of the wrestling stuff. Um, I'm kind of impressed with myself personally that I've made it this far we are just gearing up for fight week, and I haven't been completely overwhelmed by how insufferable Colby Covington can be as a person. Like, I've managed to avoid every time I see a, like a clip where they're like, oh, Colby Covington talks. Nope. No, thank you. I'm going to say no thank you to that. Uh, I'll, it'll be Ask me again on Friday if I feel like I've made it that far. Um, but, you know, the maybe the other question to ask here is if Colby Covington doesn't get it done here with this this yet another bite at the apple, as you put it, if he can't beat Leon Edwards, let's say Leon beats him, you know, soundly, doesn't even necessarily finishes him, but we come away from the fight knowing who the better fighter is. Is that it for Colby Covington as a top welterweight? Does he just have to hang around and wait for another changing of the guard? Like, what, does, does Colby Covington have to win this one? in order for people to say something about him other than was the interim champ and got kind of close against Kamaru Usman. Well, it's possible he could be running out of time. Yeah, because he's 35 years old. It's not like he is uh, getting any younger. He's got 20 MMA fights. You know, Colby Covington seems like one of these guys that might continue to trip and fall into UFC title fights as long as he hangs around, you know, as, as a, as a, uh, a trash talker and also a guy you could probably put on standby to be a late replacement injury fill-in, but this might be his last best chance to go out there and win a title. Uh, if you haven't seen any of the headlines, I did want to pull your coat to the fact that the top headline regarding this fight on MMA Junkie currently says this, Colby Covington would love to, quote, slap Sean Strickland around after UFC 296 win. So here we are, several days before UFC 296, and the, the best we can do here is a headline about Colby Covington talking about Sean Strickland, who he is not fighting and is not in this weight class. Now, I want to read you the quote because I, wanna, I want you to, to pay close attention to this first sentence. This is uh, Colby Covington on Code Sports, which I can only assume is some kind of right-wing uh, blog or podcast. He says, here's what Colby, Colby Covington says about Sean Strickland. He's pretending to be everything he wishes I was. What? Wait, what? Say that again. He's pretending to be everything he wishes I was. That is a Tito Ortiz ass quote right there. Now see, do I feel like maybe transcriber Alexander Kaylee could have cleaned that up for Colby Covington? Maybe a little bit. But well, I respect what he's doing and not. Yes. I respect what he's doing. I'm not sure I would have done it any different. I just, I don't, I don't know what we're going for really there. 
Um, it also seems like people got tired of Colby Covington shtick years ago, right? Like he's still, he's just tried to increase the intensity of it and turn up the volume on it and to hopes that he'll renew it. I'll tell you this right now, Colby Covington, if you haven't figured this out, if you don't win this one, Trump is not fucking with you anymore, man. Like he already seems like he doesn't even really like you as much as you're worshiping him. Uh, you got to win this one or you're not going to be invited to the, the party at Mar-a-Lago. I'm telling you, like it's this kind of do or die time to people are going to be like, wait, he lost to a British dude. No, sorry. He's pretending to be everything he wishes I was. I'd love to slap Sean Strickland around. He's just a pathetic excuse of a human being. The guy has literally no freaking IQ. The guy is so fucking stupid. The things he says, he needs to get his mouth wired shut and I'm the guy to do it. The UFC knows I'm the one that can end these guys that hate the company and they hate the world, so I would love to fight Sean Strickland. Now, doesn't this kind of seem like a uh, mega powers explode kind of moment? <laughs> like in another life, Sean Strickland and Colby Covington would be tag team partners. But in this one, apparently there's some beef. Also, do I have to point out the irony? It wasn't Nick Colby Covington who got his jaw broke by Kamara Usman. Like, he may have had to have his mouth wired shut. Like, literally. Next week, Sean Strickland is going to film a video of himself sitting in the front seat of his Nissan Sentra talking about Colby Covington getting beat up at the poppy steak. That's my prediction for... And he's going to do the Sean Strickland thing where he's like, Col- I actually like Colby. Colby. I think Colby is like like a silly little boy. Uh, who's wondered, I, I love this guy, uh, you know, walking around in his MAGA hat with his cargo shorts on. Like, you know, he's going to do that thing where he pretends like he is praising you, but he is yeah, not. No, he definitely is. Uh, just to close things out here, DraftKings has Leon Edwards, a slight favorite, minus 155, Colby Covington, plus 130. So we'll see how that plays out. Sounds this about right let's to do, me, honestly. Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to ra- round number two. Ben, did you see the did you see this fight at the Apex over the weekend, Songy Dong and Chris Gutierrez? I did. Did you see the part between rounds when somebody in the audience heckled Chris Gutierrez at the Apex and Chris Gutierrez turned around and said into the crowd, "Fuck you whoever <laughs> said that." To which the person replied, "I said that." <laughs> to which Chris Gutierrez replied, "I bet you won't get in here and fight me." Frankly, you're not allowed. Even yeah. if you wanted to get in there and fight him, they won't let you. It's not I would how just it like works. to say, are you fucking kidding me, guys? Don't do this. <laughs> if for no other reason than your own personal safety, you are at the apex, man. Those guys can hear every word that you're saying. <laughs> you're basically shouting at Chris Gutierrez across a living room right now. He's going to turn and look and see that it's you. And he's going to know it's totally possible that Chris Gutierrez could come find you afterward. Is that really what you want? Hey, you know what? At least this guy owned it, right? Yeah. Like, he didn't try to shrink folks, into the crowd. If this has been folks, he's pointing at the guy next to him. And be like, he's Chad like, he Dundas said it. Said it. it was said this it. guy, Chris. I, I told him he was being unreasonable. Chad Vincent Dundas said that shit. <laughs> It's one thing, I think, to cheer and heckle at like an ordinary stick and ball game. But I don't know if you want to be out here basically calling through the cage 
at a professional MMA fighter that you think he sucks when he can basically reach out and touch you from the place that he is standing. Well, first of all, and this was like during a break after an eye yeah, poke, this was right? between, it was either between rounds or like during some kind of, I think, I think it, was, it the, was an eye poke. Yeah, I think yeah. it was the break during the eye poke and the guy started out by saying something like, yeah, you like that or something about the eye poke. And that's when he was like, fuck you, whoever said that. But the thing is, at the apex, both, yes, the fighter might hear you, but also the dude saying it might be a fighter in one of the That's other camps. You know, it's yeah. it's not like it's a ton of general public out there at some of these apex events, but that is that is kind of how it goes when you, you're holding your events basically in a warehouse where it's just like the old, it's like some Street Fighter 2 shit, a bunch of dudes standing around in the background yelling shit at you as you fight, except you can hear them all. Every single yeah. one of them. Have a conversation with them if you please. Yeah. So some guy could heckle you and you could heckle him back and then you roll out of the cage to look for him and it's Fedor. It's prime Fedor sitting over there. Fedor ain't heckling nobody. <laughs> no, you would have to speak out loud in order to do that. Ben, what's your are you fucking kidding me this week? Jed, I'm going to read to you a tweet. A tweet from Ali Abdelaziz who is often suspected to be the author of many tweets. Yeah, that's true. For other accounts, this one from his own account. He writes, I love the sport of MMA so much, but I'm truly concerned about the demographic of what is going on right now, and I'm very worried about the fighters and their families and the sport in general. I have never felt like that before. Now, first of all, I must pause here to read a quote tweet of this that made me literally laugh out loud when Jack Slack posted this with the note, my man is behooved over the meaning of demographic, which <laughs> you're gonna need, I, it's still funny to me. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what, what he's trying to say with the use of the word demographic there, but a follow-up from Mark Raimondi, you know, one of the few people still doing some some stuff that is recognizably journalism in the MMA media space. He reached out to Ali Abdelaziz to be like, what do you mean, bro? And he tweets, I asked Abdelaziz for clarification. He's concerned about MMA and the fewer options for fighters without Bellator and frustrated by promotions like One, which he feels doesn't get fighters enough bouts. Rainer de Ritter is a one double champ and hasn't fought in over a year. So, are you fucking kidding me? Ali Abdelaziz posts this thing about how deeply concerned he is about fighter welfare in MMA, and it's everybody but the UFC, who he feels <laughs> is responsible for that. Also, he's really concerned about you know Bellator being purchased by the PFL and other organizations not having enough uh, fight opportunities for fighters. And I will point out, Ali Abdelaziz testified for the UFC. In the antitrust case, the UFC is out here, as we know, in some of these documents that have come out in the antitrust case, trying to uh, deprive their competitors of oxygen until they tap out. That's how they put it. They're trying to eliminate competitors. Ali Abdelaziz testified in defense of that company and then complains that there aren't enough opportunities out there with competitors. Are you fucking kidding me? I am behooved as well. Oh, well, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
Well, Chad, it seems like a lifetime ago, but it was only in July 2023 when your man Alexander Patoja went out there, beat Brandon Moreno via split decision in a frankly awesome fight to win the UFC flyweight title and then stood there and told us, hey, you guys are going to like me once you get to know me. And then it felt like he kind of fell off the face of the earth as the relentless UFC schedule continued. A bunch of other shit happened on and on and on it goes. And then, lo and behold, you're reminded, oh yeah, Alexander Pantoja is the UFC flyweight champion now. And he's going to have himself a rematch with Brandon Royville for the title on this undercard as the co-main event. What is your current hype level for this one? You know the, the men's flyweight division has sometimes had a little bit of a, a tough road to hoe when it gets it comes to getting people into this stuff, and yet it feels like, you know, it's been a lot of action there lately. How excited are you to see the title go up for grabs? And this time, not including anyone named either Brandon Moreno or Davison Figueredo. Medium low? Okay. I would say it's my hype level. Like it's very possible. Basically. I'm simmering right now. Uh, It's very possible that Pantoja and Brandon Royville will have an awesome fight. That is fun to watch. Perhaps chances are better than average that that will happen. But just like you said, I feel like Pantoja is still sort of getting established as a UFC champion, especially since we had so much time where it was just Brandon Moreno and Davis and Figueredo going back and forth with each other. Pantoja gets that win over Moreno, does say that he's going to be the people's champion in some ways. And then, you know, like I said at the top of the show, perhaps there's so much goddamn turnover at the top in the UFC among champions, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle. So now he shows up for his first title defense, and here he is against... A highly ranked but sort of anonymous challenger in Brandon Royville. So I don't necessarily know if this is the fight to put him on the map in MMA. I think he's going to have to do something impressive if he wants to leave a mark that people are going to remember through New Year's. Yeah, I mean, I also think it's a little bit of a tough sell maybe on some levels to be like, hey, these guys who fought two years ago, and one of them pulled off the submission finish. They, we're going to turn right around, have them fight again. Uh, that that sometimes has a hard time getting people terribly excited about it. And yet at the same time, when we think about what we've actually seen from men's flyweight title fights in the last few years, don't they sort of athletically, aren't they sort of like the greatest lock there is yeah. to deliver to you? just legitimately awesome mixed martial arts fighting. Like if that is what we cared about in this sport, then wouldn't we always be excited about a men's flyweight title fight? Because shit, just skill for skill. When's the last time you went out there? It's all one of yours. Like, Oh, this is kind of garbage. You know? I mean, it's probably not going to happen. This this is kind of why the men's flyweight division is the division for the hard course, right? Because we know that it's going to be, uh, most likely an awesome display of skills between two likely of the best athletes in the UFC. Like that's what this is going to be. I wonder though, if even fans that pay somewhat closer attention will not necessarily be fired up by Brandon Royville as an opponent. This is a guy, and maybe this is a commentary on the flyweight division 
more than it is a commentary on Brandon Royval and more than a commentary on the flyweight division, perhaps a commentary on how the UFC sees the flyweight division. Both of Brandon Royval's last two fights, which he won to get into this title defense, title fight, were prelims. Not on the main card of the events that he fought in. And now he's the number one contender for the title. So that is, you know, as I said before, a pretty anonymous way to get into a UFC title fight to not really even be on the main broadcast. Uh, This is also Pantoja's second straight fight against a guy he's already beaten. So that in some ways maybe makes it additionally a tough sell. And, you know, we just talked about Moreno and Figueredo doing it again and again and again, brother over the title. I wouldn't be surprised if that is the kind of thing that might undercut people's interest in the flyweight division. I think something like seven out of the last 10 flyweight title fights have been rematches, which is kind of crazy. And so uh, it's nice to get some new blood, I guess, into the title picture in Brandon Royville. But at the same time, maybe it's a guy that we don't know that much about. And maybe it's a guy that Pantoja has already beaten. Yeah, I do. I would like a word with whoever edited the Alexander Pantoja Wikipedia page. Um, Just because on the personal life section, I guess I understand what we're thinking, what we're kind of going for. It starts out, Pantoja is married and has two sons. Totally normal thing to put in the personal life section. After winning the UFC flyweight championship at UFC 290, Pantoja revealed in the post-fight interview that his father had abandoned his family, leaving his mother to raise him and his two brothers alone, and, here it puts in parentheses, facing the camera, asked his father if he was proud of him now. Which... Ah, I remember this. I remember this this too. And this was a really, like, emotionally tense moment and it was just especially like in the post fight thing it was like whoa like really memorable kind of thing and yet somehow rendered here in the wikipedia personal life section just feels weird like if you didn't see it and you just read about it here and you'd be like what (laughs) wait wait what and then i mean imagine that's one of those moments where you just have to explain to somebody yeah man hey this is that's it's mma this is the kind of shit we're doing over here and if you saw it 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 weirds it it reads as weird now but if you saw it in the moment it was weirdly touching (laughs) you know wikipedia entries are sort of their own genre of writing they are at this point there's a style of writing that you find in wikipedia entries that you find almost nowhere else and i don't know even know if i could mimic it if i try but there's a definite voice there with wikipedia entries that is sort of like uh exposition perhaps with some enthusiasm but not necessarily knowing exactly what you're describing i don't know it's a weird voice for the wikipedia so it's like the tone of facts rendered in a syntax that makes you question if they're actually facts which i suppose is smart these days uh let's see here pantoja going off as the slight favorite the champion minus 180 Brandon Royville plus 150, you know, a competitive odds for both of these title fights at the top of the card, which perhaps is more evidence that we're going to get ourselves into an awesome show this weekend. I was a little bit surprised that these odds were as close as they were, honestly, because it's like, yeah, I mean, like Brandon Royville has looked good in his last couple of fights and everything, but it's like when one of the dudes has already beat the dude, I don't know, you know, you kind of think maybe it'll lean harder in the other guy's direction here, especially because it's like, 
the at this point you could make a case that the two best dudes Brandon Royville has fought is Pantoja and Brandon Moreno, and he lost to both of them, got finished by yeah. both of them. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what sort of adjustments you make. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, there's some good stuff rounding out the card here at UFC 296. Shavkat Rachmanov is going to fight the Wonder Man, Stephen Thompson. Tony Ferguson is getting in there with Patty Pimblett. And Vicente Luque is going to fight Ian Machado. Gary. There it is. Uh, where, where do you want to start here uh, on the main card? Which one of these three fights is the most interesting to you? Chad, you know where I want to start. You don't need that. You know I want to start with that boy, good job, Scott Rockmanoff. <laughs> that, that was going to be my guess. Yeah, I, I figured that was where you were going to want to start. And yet, while I've been excited about the the rise of Shavkat Rockmanoff, that boy, good at seventeen to zero. How can you say that boy not good? Yet here, Chad, he faces a wily veteran. Oh, a, come on, a wily veteran with a with a tricky style. In Stephen Thompson, guy gonna, voted most likely to throw a crane kick in a UFC fight. Stephen Thompson, could could the magic happen? Could Stephen Thompson be the guy? No, no, he could not. But I'm still excited for this one. <laughs> I was just about to ask you if uh, Stephen Thompson paid you for that introduction. I it's interesting. I want to watch it. Uh, you know, everybody likes the Wonder Man. Shavkat is a guy who has uh, sparked a lot of enthusiasm and interest and, and delight in the MMA world, and he's going off at minus 520. So just in case <laughs> you were wondering what the odds were here, Shavkat Rachmanov, an overwhelming favorite over uh, Stephen Thompson, the 40-year-old Stephen Thompson, by the way, who comes into this fight one and two in his last three with losses to Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad, and then that uh, win over Kevin Holland in uh, December of 2022. Shavkat Rachmanov, who's been just kind of uh, dusting people off left and right, had that fight against Jeff Neal, submission win. Before that, Neil Magny. So he's starting to uh, stop guys that we regard as, uh, as known guys, as known names. And so... You kind of expect the Shavkat Rachmanov train to keep on rolling this weekend against Stephen Thompson. And maybe the question is, where does that leave him if he comes out there and runs through Stephen Thompson the way he has been running through people up to this point? Yeah, I mean, at some point, when the dude is beating absolutely fucking everybody, you are going to have to just throw him in there in one of those big fights. And right now, it's just like, it seems like the UFC is just sort of letting the, the legend of Shavkat Rachmanov build somewhere like off on its own. But not only is he beating these dudes, he is finishing these dudes, you know, and making it look fucking easy for the most part. Like, I, how do you not just be like, all right, fuck it. Let's just put the dude in a title fight, hoping that 
we'll find out what the ceiling is because we haven't really got that close yet. You know, guy hasn't even been to a fight. Like he, for all we know, Shavkat Rachmanov does not know that they use judges to decide the results of fights. Sometimes he's never personally experienced it, Chad. Never in his professional yeah. career. Yeah. Well, you know a guy who has been through some adversity. Tony Ferguson. Okay. This is a segue. All right. A segue in here into Tony Ferguson against Patrick Pimblett. A lot of eyes, I think, on Tony Ferguson in this one. And uh, a lot of reportage leading up to this fight about his training methods. He comes into this thing on the heels of six consecutive losses. Most recently, that uh, fight against Bobby Green in July, uh, which he got uh, choked out in the third round by Bobby Green. You know, I think we're beyond the point of asking, is this the end of the line for Tony Ferguson? Because we have been proved, it has been proved that perhaps there is no end to the line uh, for Tony Ferguson. So I guess... Maybe the more apt question is what's on the line here for either one of these guys. It seems like it would be kind of disastrous for either one of these guys to lose to the other one. Yeah. For different reasons, right? I mean, for Tony Ferguson, he, he has the potential to give us a pleasant surprise, even by just doing well in defeat. Doesn't he? Like if he made it to, we went to a decision. It was a good fight. He looked good. He lost the decision. Uh, you know, we'd still be like, well, hey, there's some fight left in that old dog after all. The boot yeah. camp shit worked, bro. Doing burpees and, and shit, whatever it is that they're over there doing. Just you were Maybe you were just five burpees away from <laughs> pulling out a victory in this one. You just had to train harder and more insane next time. Like, that could happen. Also, though, the flip side is that Patty Pimlet could end up taking even more shit from fans and fellow fighters, even in a win here. Like he's kind of been, I I appreciate how open he's been where he's just kind of like, this is sort of like a no win situation for me because it's like, if you absolutely blaze through Tony Ferguson, just beat the shit out of him. A, it's going to make us sad. B, we're going to be like, please stop making us watch Tony Ferguson fights. We're not going to be like, Patrick Pimblet, you, P- Patrick Angus Pimblet. What is it? What is the middle name you gave him? Was it Angus? <laughs> it was Angus, but that's it's uh, just point of fact. That's not his actual middle name <laughs> that we know of. It could be Angus, but it's just one I chose. Well, we're not just going to be over here being like, oh yeah, this guy is the truth because he beat Tony Ferguson, beat the brakes off Tony Ferguson. We'd know. We'd be like this. This sucked that you put us through this experience, UFC. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, I think it's a good point that MMA fans will be delighted if Tony Ferguson just shows up just not looking terrible. Yeah. If Tony Ferguson puts on even a valiant effort where he looks like a capable, serviceable, professional MMA fighter, everyone will be like, wow, good job, Tony. Whereas if Patty Pimblett comes out there and blitzes him in one minute, we're all going to be mad. Yep. So there's that. All right, let's round it out here. Vicente Luque against Ian Machado. Gary, uh, Ian Gary, just, it feels like in the last couple months has suddenly become a darling of the headlines. Yeah. Like Ian Gary showed up, 
He won a few fights in the UFC. He he was clearly very good. He, we still think he is very good at a very young age. He gets into a fight against Daniel Rodriguez and then his highest profile fight yet against Neil Magny. He wins both of those. And suddenly he is just everywhere. He is all over every headline, every news story. Every MMA website has a handful of Ian Gary stories seemingly all the time now. And I would say not all of them for the best reasons. And so I guess the question is, was P.T. Barnum right as it pertains to Ian Gary? Is any any press good press for the 26-year-old who's just trying to make his way in this sport? I mean, it definitely does help heighten awareness that he is fighting this weekend, which, as we've often said, is half the battle right there. Just telling people you got to fight and they should care one way or another about it. I do think I saw somebody make the point in one of the Ian, many Ian Gary headlines recently that all this, we might say extracurriculars detracts from the fact that he is actually quite good. And, you know, we saw him just sort of, uh, abusing Neil Magny. He comes into this one against Vicente Luque, who is, you know, known as a tough out, like not not an easy guy to fight against. And Ian Gary is like close to a four to one favorite, according to to most sports books here. And I can't really even argue with that. Like that boy is good. You know? We're still in that phase of trying to see if the the it'll be one of these short lived meteoric rises or if we're really going somewhere here. But like it does. It's easy to get too much into the tabloid esque headlines and forget that, like, he'd been winning those fights, though. Yeah, he has. He has. Uh, forgot to update you on the Patrick Pimblett, Tony Ferguson odds. Patty Pimblett minus three twenty five. So, a lot. You know, these undercard fights not expected to be that competitive, but the two championship fights uh, odds are pretty close there. So interested to see what happens. All right, Ben, let's move on to just saying stuff and then we'll get out of here for this week. What's your just saying stuff this week? Well, Chad, speaking of Ian Machado, Gary, he did post on Instagram in the wake of all this stuff. You know, there's been all this stuff going on. People talking about his wife who wrote the book, uh, called how to be a wag back in 2010. Um, the, a lot of people having a lot of people sharing their maybe unsolicited opinions about the, the Gary, the Machado Gary family and whatnot. And on his Instagram, Ian Gary got on there and wrote, I'm a little bit cautious about going to America for the safety of my family with all the shit that's been going on online. To protect my wife, my child, myself, I'm not remotely concerned about the fight. Fight's fun. The buildup I love, the energy, I thrive off of it. But me not being able to react to people in person, it's going to wind me up a little bit. So I guess this week, I'm just saying, Ian, you know, I think it'll be fine. I think I think he's, I think you're going to be okay. I don't think that there's really any concern for the family on this one. It's just people just saying stuff online, on the internet. I think it's going to be fine, bro. I'm not worried about the safety of the family on this one. Easy for you to say. <laughs> I guess it's true. But I just <laughs> I feel like we're going to be okay here. Yeah, probably going to make it. Probably going to make it through this one. Uh, well, Ben, I'm just going to read to you a couple of paragraphs from a 
press release that landed in my inbox uh, today. It says, One Championship, the world's largest martial arts organization, today announced that the second season of its critically acclaimed reality series, The Apprentice, One Championship Edition, starring one chairman and CEO, Chatri Sichitung, will premiere on Netflix across Asia on December 28th. Details surrounding the full cast and the global launch and distribution of season two will be announced at a later date. Similar to the first season, 10 candidates from around the world, including one flyweight submission grappling world champion, Mikey Musumeki, probably nailed it, uh, will take part in a series of high stakes competitions involving both business and physical challenges. The candidates will vie for the grand prize of a one year quarter million dollar job to work at one's headquarters in Singapore under Chatri. So I guess this week I'm just saying, what percentage of statements in those first two paragraphs do you think are true? <laughs> like 40, maybe? Are 40% of the information in those first two paragraphs accurate? Because we're making a lot of claims. Mm-hmm. A lot of claims being made in this press release. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I had totally forgotten there was even a season one of The Apprentice One Championship Edition. Yeah, how'd that turn out? I have no idea. Someone must have won, and they're probably uh, stacking money in their 401k and enjoying their full benefits as a full-time employee of one championship is is my guess. Do you think when Chatri looks at the draft for some of these press releases, he's like, mm, needs more claims? Yeah. Not enough claims Puff it up in a little bit. <laughs> Can we ramp it up? Can we, could we turn the volume up on some of these claims is what he's saying. It's kind of weird, is it not, that uh, a person from one FC is in this thing? Flyweight submission grappling world champion? I mean, I guess maybe that's how you build some small modicum of interest in this. I, maybe it's a smart idea. I don't know, but it's just it's a little strange to me. You're saying if you feel like you were one of the other candidates, you'd be like, this feels kind of unfair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You already know this guy tournament and Josh Barnett is in your bracket. Perhaps (laughs) don't know. Just saying, I'm just saying, just saying that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks to everybody who listened this week. Reminder, we are over on the Patreon all week long. We got Wednesday's live chat Thursday, doing the damn thing. Friday's power hour. We would love it. If you would come hang out with us there patreon.com slash co-main event get over there check it out join the team as for right now we're done we are through we are out you know what your problem is what's up you're pretending to be everything you wish i was (laughs) that's your problem you know what as soon as you say that and force me to think about it i can't say it's untrue you know i can't 100 percent deny that I'm doing that yeah. gives you a lot to think about, honestly. I mean, we're gonna have to forward that to some linguists. They might have to try to get to the bottom of what Kobe Covington is trying to tell. Tell you what's gonna happen: you're gonna send that to a professional linguist. You're not gonna hear back for six weeks, and then you're gonna get 